from the book of Matthew, 22nd chapter, 34th through the 40th verses. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment is the law in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. To start off this morning, I want to tell you a story. It's a true story, one that I came across on Twitter earlier this last week. It's possible that you saw it on Twitter as well, if you're on Twitter. It's about an 11-year-old named Emerson Weber, and it was told by her dad. And he did such a great job of sharing her story that I'm just going to share with you what he said. His first tweet said, Emerson, my 11-year-old, is on a bit of a wild ride with the USPS, the United States Postal Service, and our local mail carrier, Doug. And he said, I think there's a deeper message in it for us all. Next tweet said, Em has a serious letter writing habit. And we have a picture here that he put up there. She maintains active correspondence with over a dozen of her favorite people, he said. And if you've been the lucky recipient of one of Em's hand-decorated letters and envelopes, then you have a pretty good idea of the joy they bring. A letter from Emerson is likely to include some art, a joke or two, a mention of her younger brother, a confession of her love for Taylor Swift, and enough questions to guarantee a response. So when Emerson decided to thank our mail carrier for the service he provides, she left nothing out. In went Taylor Swift, in went the little brother, in went the jokes. Why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? Because they're really good at it. It's a good one, yeah, okay. Well, uh, Emerson wrote in her letter to the mail carrier, I'm Emerson, you may know me as the person that lives here that writes a lot of letters and decorated envelopes. Well, I wanted to thank you for taking my letters and delivering them. You are very important to me. I make people happy with my letters, but you do too, she said. The reason you're very important in my life is because I don't have a phone, so how else am I supposed to stay in touch with my friends? You make it possible. Emerson put the letter in the box and smiled when he took it, and that was enough. The next day, her dad said, a package arrived with some stamps and two letters. We have a picture of that also. Doug, the letter carrier, had shared Emerson's letter with his supervisor, Sarah, and they both wanted to share how touched they were by her note. Sarah said that as an essential worker, Doug might not be able to maintain regular correspondence, but she could, and M started writing that very afternoon. He said, this is when things get interesting. The next week, we got a letter addressed to Mr. and Mrs. Weber. We have a picture of this letter also. It seems that Sarah had shared M's note as a token of thanks in an internal newsletter for the whole Western United States, and there were some postal folks who wanted to thank her. 
So this says, to the parents of Emerson Weber, it says that there's other uh, folks that have wanted to share a, a note with Emerson, and a couple letters have already arrived, and she wants to know if she should send them to the parents or straight on to Emerson. And uh, she said, this has sparked great joy in a time of turmoil in our country, and I thank you for raising a daughter like Emerson. May her love for the country and the United States Postal Service be continued throughout the years. So he says then, today we saw Doug getting out of the truck, next photo, with two boxes of letters from around the country. He said we snapped a quick photo through the door as he and Emerson met for the first time. And he said these letters are so deeply human. They're filled with family and pets and hobbies and community and an overwhelming sense of kindness. He said because M was fully vulnerable, they were too. M shared jokes, so they shared jokes. M shared her brother, so every gift that came was sent in duplicate. M shared Taylor Swift, and it turns out that the U.S. Postal Service is filled with lots of undercover Swifties. One maintenance manager from Minnesota wanted to inspire her to start collecting stamps, so he sent along two stamps of his own from the bulletin board in his office to start her collection. And they sent stamps to be used, others sent stamps to be used as well. Stamps for her to write back. We have pictures of the stamps that she received. Stamps for her to write others. Stamps, stamps, stamps. 218 stamps by Emerson's count. But he said there was something else in these letters. People felt seen. Some of them for the first time in a long time. They said things like, I work alone in a small rural post office. Or, my kids live far away. Or, not a lot of people think about how hard we work. One wrote, I can't tell you how much it means to read your letter. Another said, I have a son in Kuwait, and if you have a second to send him a letter, he would love it. And another, I know you can't write back to all of us, but maybe I could drop you a line from time to time. And then with dozens of new pen pals, Emerson did what she does best. She wrote the dad. She wrote the son. She assured the secret Swifties not to be embarrassed because her dad likes T-Swift too. She acknowledged that, they, that there were a lot of letters, but she had time. She sees them all, he said. He said, I'm not sharing this because I'm a proud dad. I'm sharing it because it's relatively easy. If we take time to give others the thing that they need to be well, and that is human connection. He said, I have a friend that says we all just need to be seen and known and loved. And Emerson does this boldly. Now that tweet thread got like 70,000 likes and 30,000 retweets. And a day later, Hugh, the dad, finished the story by tweeting, we weren't sure what a day, that a day could be more emotional than yesterday, but my friends, you've topped it. We're seeing all of your replies and retweets. We're reading them aloud as a family. We're absolutely in awe of the ripples of impact that have come from one letter. Hashtag, we see you. Emerson Weber, 11 years old, letter writer, neighbor. Neighbor. That's the word for this morning. We've been spending some weeks together here exploring words in the scriptures that have new and deep resonance for us as we're living together through this pandemic. Words like refuge and lamentation and last week consolation and today neighbor. Just like with every other word we've considered, there are dozens and dozens of places in the Bible to teach us about how to treat our neighbors. And they don't all use that word neighbor, but the sentiment is the same. 
that whenever we encounter someone, whoever they are, wherever they come from, whatever they look like or sound like, we are to approach them with hospitality and grace and love. We find it as a commandment in the Old Testament. We find it repeated in the lips of Paul, in the letters of Paul, and we find it in the Gospels on the lips of Jesus. Don't just, don't just tolerate your neighbor. Don't just give space to your neighbor. Don't just live and let live with your neighbor. No, no. The request of the Bible is much, much more than that. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. As familiar as this phrase is to us, love your neighbor as yourself, it's so familiar, we call it the golden rule, we call it the greatest commandment. So familiar it is, we might not remember that it actually came to us in the middle of a fight that Jesus was having. The setting is actually the last week of his life. He entered in Jerusalem, you might remember riding on a donkey, that moment we celebrate on Palm Sunday, and then he spent the next few days teaching in the temple, teaching the crowds, And the crowds might have enjoyed it, but the religious leaders did not. They saw Jesus as a threat, and they wanted to discredit him. They wanted to remove his power. So the scripture says, the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus. So they sent their disciples to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then... Isn't that lovely? All these fake compliments about how much they respect him to try and set him up. They're going to try to trick him and trap him. But Jesus answers so cleverly and so well, the scripture says, when they heard this, they were amazed and they left him and went away. Well, after the Pharisees fail, then the Sadducees, who are another group of religious leaders, scholars, they come to him with a question and they try the same thing to trick him. But again, Jesus silences them. And then the Pharisees, they huddle together for one last shot. They're going to pull out their best, their hardest question to try to trap him. And so they come to him and they ask, which commandment in the law is the greatest? To us, this answer seems obvious, right? Because we've heard Jesus answer it already. And that answer has been taught to us as one of the most important things in the whole Bible. But when Jesus was asked that question, the answer was not obvious. Remember, Jesus was being asked about the whole Hebrew Bible or what we call the Old Testament. Which of all those commands in it is the most important? And by Jesus' lifetime, the rabbis had already sat down and counted out the number of commandments in the Hebrew Bible, and they found 613 different commandments, things that covered every aspect of life. 613 commandments. That, in case you're interested, is 248 thou shalls and 365 thou shalt nots. I know you don't care about that, but that's just the kind of Bible trivia you get from Amy Lippold. Okay, so there was no agreed-upon list about which of those commandments were the most important. So Jesus, he had 613 choices. Actually, he had 614 because he could have said, none of them are the most important. They're all of equal value to humans because they come to us as the law of God. But that wasn't Jesus' answer. He didn't get stumped. He didn't fall into their trap. Instead, he gave a clear, he gave a succinct answer. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Again, it it seems obvious to us that those things go together, but actually, he made a unique combination. We don't find those two things next to each other anywhere in the Hebrew Bible, 
And he wasn't quoting some long-held rabbinical answer or some deep tradition. He put them together. Even Moses, remember, Moses' Ten Commandments start with that business about idols. So Jesus quotes familiar scriptures, but he puts two texts together in a unique way. The first part, love the Lord your God, that's part of the Shema, the prayer that faithful Jews would have said twice every day as a part of their devotional life. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Keep these words I'm commanding you today in your heart. So that's the first part. And the second half comes from Leviticus 19. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says these two are the greatest commandments, and all the other commandments hinge on those two. And after that, the scripture says the Pharisees didn't dare to ask him any more questions. Now, one of the things I noticed today about this scripture is that in answering what God, what Jesus, uh, in Jesus answering what God wants us most to do, he doesn't come up with a novel teaching, right? He doesn't invent something. He quotes the Hebrew Bible. He quotes the Old Testament. And this is important because sometimes I hear Christians say that they don't like the Old Testament or that God there in the Old Testament is not very loving and they just have a hard time finding grace in the Old Testament and they like God a whole lot better in the New Testament so they're just going to stick with that as if somehow God changed when we got to the end of Malachi and started the book of Matthew. But those ideas are actually an affront to the scripture. Every page of the New Testament is deeply rooted in the Old Testament. Every single word of the New Testament was written by somebody who considered the Old Testament their Bible, who thought that the Old Testament testified to the God that they knew and loved, testified to the God that we know and love. Now, I'm not saying the Old Testament doesn't have some tricky spots. It certainly does, but so does the New Testament. We have to read the Bible carefully and wisely, but God is the same from Genesis to Revelation. Secondly, I want to mention that Jesus offers these two commandments in answer to the question, but really it's just one answer. The two things that he mentioned, they're not separate from each other, not at all. Loving God with our whole selves means loving our neighbor, and loving our neighbor is a key way that we love God. So they go together always. We don't love God and then go out and trash our neighbor. Loving our neighbor is fueled by our love of God, and in our love of God implores us to reach out and love our neighbor. We know that God loves our neighbor, right? We know that God does. God loves everyone. No matter who our neighbor happens to be, God loves that neighbor with an equal love. And so if we want to love like God loves, the best way for us to do that is loving our neighbor. Now, of course, some neighbors are a whole lot easier to love than other neighbors. We got to say that. <laughs> And this is true in whatever way we want to define neighbor. We can think about neighbor as far away or as close at hand as we want. And I think Jesus' commandment stays the same. Our neighbor can include someone who lives halfway around the world or our literal next-door neighbor. Jesus' request is the same. Love them as you love yourself. And some of them are easier to love than others. When I moved from Newton, Kansas to the Kansas City area, I switched from an amazing neighbor to a not amazing neighbor. <laughs> Rosalind, my neighbor in Newton, she was just fantastic. One of my favorite neighbors I've ever had. She was a retired academic. She was a, a retired university dean. 
And she always had a great story to share with me. She loved my dog. She would cook and share leftovers with me. And I would go over to her house and fix little things that she and her husband couldn't quite figure out what to do. She was a woman of deep faith and service to others. And it just, it always brightened my day when I got a chance to see Rosalind in the driveway and have a chat. And then I moved. And Mike lived next door. And Mike and I did not get along from that very first day of moving in when he thought for sure it was my parents who must be buying this house and not me. Mike thought that I needed all kinds of advice about how to take care of my house, and he was the most classic mansplainer that I have ever met in my life. He insisted on mowing about three or four feet into my yard every single time that he mowed, and uh, he over the years said a glaring number of pretty offensive things that I'm not going to bother repeating. Now, I will say that once I got married and Matt moved in, things got better, which proves two things. One, that um, my husband is a better human than I am, and that he was able to get along with Mike better. And the other thing is that Mike was bottom line sexist, and he just related to Matt better. But my point is, Jesus gave me a real challenge when I moved in next door to Mike. I did not want to love him. Not at all. I didn't want to have anything to do with him. I wanted to ignore him at best, and I had some other thoughts a few times along the way. But the scripture makes no allowance for really annoying or offensive or even hurtful neighbors. Jesus doesn't say, except people like Mike. He just says, love your neighbors. Love is what we are to offer in return, no matter what our neighbors try to give to us. Thank goodness then that love, as Jesus asks us to give our neighbors, it's not about a warm and fuzzy feeling for someone. I never got there toward Mike, and we moved, and now we have great neighbors, so life has come full circle. But Jesus is not talking about love as an emotional feeling. He's talking about love as an action. Jesus is talking about love as an action, about loving our neighbors, not how we feel toward them, but how we treat them, what we do. Loving our neighbors is about what we do. Love your neighbor means showing it. And showing it, big or small, we can do that in a thousand different ways. There's a couple ways that we're trying to do that right now at St. Paul's and that you've been invited to be a part of and you are a part of. One of those is our diaper pantry, right? Even as we've kind of closed down the church and the office, we've continued to give out diapers, continued to get referrals, and we just trust that's going to grow and grow in the months ahead as families run out of other resources. So we're giving those diapers out as a way to love our neighbors, as a sign of our love for them and God's love for them. And our COVID fund is this exact same thing, helping our neighbors pay their mortgage. Now, we don't have to know our neighbors in order to help them in this way, and it is going to help some of our Sarpy County neighbors a lot. So I just encourage you again to give generously. So we don't have to know our neighbors, their names or their circumstances in order to help them. And Sometimes I know it's actually easier to help strangers, to, to give to, to folks that are further away from us than to help our literal physical neighbors, the people that we encounter day to day in our everyday lives, the people that we have a chance to, to know and share life with. You know, I believe that God has a way of kind of tucking blessings inside of our difficult circumstances. God has a way of making good come from even our toughest trials. And one thing that I'm hoping for and I'm praying for in these months of pandemic is because we all have been sticking so much closer to home that we might have the chance to get to know our neighbors in a new and a real way. 
and have new opportunities to live out this commandment of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself, and live it out very close to home. I suspect that there are things you can do in your neighborhood. Rebecca encouraged our children to that, and Emerson Weber gives us such a great example of how a small act of kindness can make a huge difference. We all have ways like that that we can offer love and support, but also in the next few weeks, I want to let you know that you are going to be invited into a neighborhood group, a group of people connected to St. Paul's. We're calling them connect groups. Fancy title, I know, but should be easy to remember. Connect groups, and they're going to consist of members and friends of the congregation who live near to you. And what we hope is that in these connect groups, you can offer one another mutual support, you can encourage each other, you can offer care for one another, you can enjoy hanging out in one an- with one another, whether that's on a Zoom call or in person in a way that's safe, maybe a driveway party, or just walking by one another's houses or apartments to say hi. You know, we can't mix and mingle here at church like we want to, and we're not going to be able to do that for quite a while yet. But we can care for each other a lot closer to home. So connect groups are going to help us do that. Watch in the next couple weeks for an invitation to join. When Hugh Weber finished his Twitter story about his daughter, he used that hashtag, we see you. Now, Jesus didn't use hashtags, of course. He would have been really good at them, I think, if he had. But perhaps he would have liked that one a whole lot. We see you. We see you, neighbors, and we love you in all the ways that God would have us do that. Thanks be to God. Amen.